Hello, I'm Russell Howard. This is Wonderbox. My guest today is one of the biggest comedians in the US. She's got six Netflix specials. She's in the UK right now on a Hard Feelings tour. This is Eliza Schlesinger's Wonderbox. So I'm here with... I always struggle with your surname. Is that a terrible thing to admit straight away? Everyone does. Yes. Everyone admits it on the air rather than say it off air. Like, hey, how do I pronounce it? Everyone's like, let's make a thing of it. Yeah, well, let's not make a thing of it. It's (laughs) it's, uh, Schlesinger. It's good. That's good. Is that? Okay. That's fine. I'm here with the the mighty Eliza Schlesinger. There you go. Um, That sounded totally normal. (laughs) Exactly. But you know when you have to really concentrate on, but Mm -hmm. obviously not because that's your surname, but you're here, you're in (laughs) London. Uh, You're doing two shows at the Hammersmith Apollo and it's this, what day is it? It's on Wednesday and Friday. Wednesday and Friday. You're killing it. This is it, mate. The last name straight away. And uh, I'm here with Dan, Dan Atkinson. And we're doing a wonder box. So do you know how this works? Yes. Lovely. So what is the very first thing you'd like to put in the box? Of course, I have to preface this by saying, you know, I was reading some of the prompts on the uh, instructions just of how to do this. And I mean, you're a a monster if you're not like, I'd put my child in the box. I'll take my child. I'll Mm. take. And then some of the questions were like, best moment of your life. Well, who? Who thinks about that? And who? that's so sad if you have like the one moment you're like, that was it. And it's all been downhill. Yeah. So I went with more sort of ephemeral things and not deliberately esoteric, but just whatever popped into my mind. I'm a very olfactory oriented person. So my first one is the smell of wet asphalt after it rains in the summer in Texas. Okay. Texas specifically. Okay. Well, let's unravel that. That's very specific. Yeah. Because I've never been to Texas, which is weird. No, I'm from there. It's just... It doesn't smell like that anywhere else. There's a heat to it. And the smell of it just reminds me of summers growing up. Like to be able to remember your adolescence fondly versus like fraught with like trying to be popular, Mm. I think is a special thing. So your adolescence was spent sniffing pavements. Yeah. What? Well, it's Texas. It's just hot. There's a lot of pavement. What? And it's just, just the smell brings back teenage years. Yeah. It's just a warm smell. And it's that smell of like, oh, what's going to happen tonight? Like, are we going out? Yeah. What are we doing? Are you going to camp? And it's a smell you take throughout your whole life, but it's a very specific, maybe it's attached to like having to go to two a days. I don't know if you guys call what's them. What's a two a day? Two when you play a sport, you got to go to practice twice a day. Right. A two Which- That sounds like a sort of a... F- a female hygiene product, doesn't it? Just you know take I mean? two, like, two, just two a day. I've got to take two a day these days. And it'll grow right back. <laughs> yeah, it, but it feels like it's sort of lots, lots happening. Yeah. Because we've got Tenor Lady. Do you have that? What's it called? A oh. Tenor Lady, I think. I don't know, but I've heard uh, older ladies mutter. I think it's something to do with incontinence. And it's like an... It's an oh, like a tenor pad. That's the one, yeah. We, it, do the tenor twist. Yeah, we've got a tenor lady. Yeah. So I think Probably it's the like same a nappy. Overarching for, for company. Is that right, Dan? It's like a pad. It's yeah. a pad in case so you... So it's a tenor leak. pad. In case you, you know, you if you had a baby and you laugh and you giggle and pee yeah. comes out. It's one of my favorite things. My auntie Sue's had lots of kids. And if we make her laugh, you can, you know, you make can her. definitely tell when she's, she's peed herself. Very cool. Yeah. Really cool for you guys to do that to her. Well... It's just, that's when you know you I'm having the nicest time. Or was that an impression of me? No, it's her. That's That's definitely what your aunt sounds like. And she's just soaked in urine. She's like, but he's so funny. But I know it's it's a real window into ego, isn't it? But that feeling of like, and you're the same because as a comedian, you're not someone that's gentle. You like crushing. So my point being, if you've made somebody piss themselves with laughter, 
then yeah. obviously it's bad for them. But as a comedian, it doesn't get better than that. Oh, like he's like my face hurts. I'm like, good. I hope your jaw falls off. Yeah, yeah. We had a guy <laughs> shit himself. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm a bad guy but for making my auntie pee herself. I You're w- out there making who shot himself? I, it was. I don't know if it was. I think it was a woman. I. It was. I think it was a woman <laughs> because I didn't see her. It, I was told. You know when something happens in your showroom, but you can't see it because there's so many people. Yeah, yeah. And you're told after. My feature told me that somebody, and I don't think it was. Maybe it was ushered by the comedy, yeah. but somebody like crapped themselves yeah. during the show and they had the security was so good. The ushers were so good at this show. And there was, you know, it wasn't, it was a big venue. They replaced the seat as I was on stage. I had no <laughs> idea. And the person was like, they like army crawled out. They were so embarrassed. I think that they had a medical issue. Yeah. Because no one else has ever voided their bowels yeah. because of my party goblin joke. So, but I, that is a notch on my bedpost. It, but it feels great, doesn't it? I love the fact that security were like sort of Formula One mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they somehow have to seat change up. fixed the chair straight away. But so she crawled out. That's what I heard. Wow. So. I feel great. Aunt, yeah. It's all, it's, we can get five star reviews, but. Imagine that, just five stars from the LA Times, and she made me shit. I voided my bowels. My my intestines came up through my mouth. Yeah. I can no longer see. You want to render someone incontinent and paralyzed. Yeah. That's how you know you had a good 15 minutes. This is it. But to get back to the pavement. Let's what get is back it, to the pavement. The, what is it about the, the smell of it? What memories does it conjure? I guess it conjures just the freedom of whatever a summer is mm. because that is the way it's always smelled. You know, it's sleeping over at your friend's houses when you're younger, playing outside, the freedom to be out in a neighborhood and just not having school and just the excitement of what's going to happen tonight. The possibility and the potential. And then the youth, ensconced in youth, because mm. now... If I were to go back to visit my family and I smelled it, I'd be like, the potential is I'm going to bed at nine. I'm going to check my phone for the next three hours. But that there's like an electricity in the air, literally, because because there's lightning. But it's just a, a very Texas specific smell. And I don't find it. It rarely rains in California, but I don't find it anywhere else. It's a combination of the pavement, the heat, the rain, probably fresh grass somewhere and it's just one that I guess I've been smelling my entire life, you know, up until I left at 18. Mm. And so it's just every once in a while, if you catch something that's similar mm. and it has to be, I think, a muggy environment, it's got to be a hot state or a hot place. Every once in a while, you're just like, oh, my youth. Oh, that was not so bad. Oh, right. So you look back on it fondly. Were you kind of like a popular kid? I don't know. I The answer to that is so tough because I went to a small high school. It was 100 kids in my grades. So it was 400 kids in the high school. Is it that small, is it? It's it's pretty small. Right, right. Um, it's a small private school. And so it wasn't your traditional high school experience, even though it had a lot of the markings of that. So, like, not the popular girl, but, yeah. like, definitely not a loser. And were you, uh, did you become the comic I see now, or were you that person all along, were you funny? Were you a kind of a funny kid? Were Weren't you in you? a group? You? I was, I was funny. Yeah, but I was kind of like, uh, yeah, I was sort of a mixture. Like, I felt at school that's when I, I would perform. Right, I, that was when I that's was kind all of you funny. Had. Yeah, but like Where at home, it, it was quite kind of quite serious in my house. So oh, really? Like, yeah. So my dad's proper serious, and my mum is so like, British. Yeah, British. Didn't have a dad. 
mum died when he was young. Oof. Lot going Did on. Did he work in a factory? No, oh. he, he worked. He met my mum first when he was living in a car. So he kind of like started. So he, he, and he wasn't a male comic. No, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, well, and and look what we have here. Yeah, yeah. It's. I guess the point is, school felt like this kind of like release for me and I had a real fondness for it and just like just dicking about and then sometimes I'd be interested in the lessons but sometimes just making people laugh. I think you hear that a lot with people who don't have access to a stage quite yet and usually when Mm. when you're younger because you're not doing stand-up or at least being taken seriously as a kid but I find a lot of people in their path to finding the stand-up stage you see a lot of men who like join like churches and are like youth pastors. Yeah. Like a lot of people who work at churches that are like young, good looking guys. I'm like, what you're looking for is an audience. Yeah. And because you don't really have, you haven't given yourself the permission to just like go to Hollywood, go to New York, go to London and do it. You take this sort of circumlocution route and you perform for your congregation. Yeah. You perform at a coffee house. You do poetry. You give seminars. Like people find these ways around it. But and the, at the end of the day, I'm like, what you want is an audience yeah. that will listen to you. At the end of the day, what you want is that pure distilled. You want to stand in front of people and bare your soul and make them laugh. Yeah. You may not even be aware it's there. You know, you're a kid. You're like, I'll do it in front of the class. I'll do it at this presentation. Yeah. For me, you know, the teacher would give you an option. Like, we're going to study photosynthesis. You've got to give a report. Do you want to give an oral report? Do you want to do a skit? Yeah. Do you want to write a paper? I'm like, who is opting to write a paper? <laughs> yeah. Of course I want to do a skit yeah. where I learn nothing about photosynthesis, but I make you laugh. Yeah. And so you would take these little chances and then you realize like that's where you, that's your stage. Given that you're a very dynamic performer, were you that as a kid? I don't know. I don't think so. Because even in real life, when you meet me, I don't, I don't need the attention in the room. Like no. I don't walk in, like I'm not a, an energy sucker. You right. know, you meet comics that are just like, what up guys? And yeah, you're like, yeah. I can't be bothered. Yeah, yeah. I think on stage, not, not to compare myself to Beyonce, but she is, she is my, she's doing the same. She's my greatest competition. Yeah. Well, she was on the pod last week and she said the same. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you be, uh, she has this like alter ego, like Sasha fierce, right? Yeah. Beyonce's a very quiet, pious woman. And then she's got this thing. And so while stand-up is an extension of me, I do feel the physical expression and the voice is changing. Mm. It's not unlike when a dancer, like something just comes out of you. And I'm not trying to make it sound more artful than it is, but it does a lot of hunching. There's a lot of hunching. Anytime you see me doing stand-up, I'm hunching over. It's an expression. It's just, it just sort of comes out. It's not planned. It wasn't learned. Yeah. And I feel like I just need to move my body. In general, I feel the need to move my body. I know exactly what you mean. It's, yeah. I, when I did my speech at my wedding, I felt so proud of myself because I wasn't a stand-up. I just did it very upright. Yeah. Told told the stories, told them well. Everyone laughed fine. I've seen f- photos of it and I'm hunched. <laughs> the hands are out and I'm in the zone. And it's just, it's so depressing. This is beautiful photo of my wife looking at me. She's laughing, but the eyes are like, here we go. In you know what I mean? You it's were the, a statesman. Honestly, I was so upright, but I'm literally down like that for one. I'm, you know, good God. The new thing now, at least in LA, is that like there's just photographers at every show. Yeah. Not paparazzi, like in-house photographers. Yeah. They don't ask your permission. They take your picture and then they're like, is this cool? And I'm like, no, 
They're never cool. I've never seen a picture of myself doing stand-up like in the raw, like just out and been like, wow, that looks gorgeous. But but that's what you look like. And that, that's the thing with the photo Thank shoot. Thank you. No, no, no. But, but that's that's what it's coming. Like you're all over the shop and you're flailing and you're a goblin and then you're kind of like, you play various characters. You're but moving. That, that's the truth of you on stage. Yes. And then you suddenly do a photo shoot and then it's just kind of like, come on. Here's and the other side like, of it. Wow, this, this is the only move I've got. I hate, like, it's yeah. so funny. But I think those photos capture you as a comic better. They do. But they look awful. They look Because you're awful. sweating. And you're moving you're, your mouth. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I cannot move my mouth in an elegant way. I've just seen thousands of pictures of it. And it's fine, but it's like, look, I came out to do this 15 minute spot at the improv. I'm not wearing makeup. Like, yeah. how dare you take a picture? Do you know who wants this? Yeah. And especially when you're a woman, like it's all there so someone could look at it later and be like, she doesn't look good. I'm like, yeah, I wasn't trying to. W- what are you going to do? Can you remember like when, when you sort of talk about those those performances at school? Did, can you remember that first time where you felt kind of like, God, that was funny. I think this is my thing. Did do I you ever? have that? I have to be honest. Do you have that seminal moment? I can remember I was going to do my first ever open spot when I was 18. And I remember the day before I kind of performed it to my mates and they laughed and I felt like, oh, this is going to be all right. It was three of my mates. Yeah. It was the scariest gig I've ever done in my life where you go, I'm going to attempt to be a comedian. I'm going to say these things. Are these okay? Yeah. And they laughed. And I was like, I think this is going to be all right. I So you're talking about like within the context of stand-up specifically versus just getting a laugh. Stand-up or getting a laugh or... Because I always got laughs. Yeah. But you're, that's the currency with which you trade growing up. Some kids, they're mm. great at sports. Some mm. kids are just good looking. Some are good at math. If you're funny, there were other funny kids. And it, I just wish we could go back to a time of not feeling competition with them. Like in elementary school, there was a kid named Kevin Fair who was so funny. And he was funnier than me. And Kevin, if you're alive, just know I thought that about you. Um, and then I got to high school and I got to do improv and I took it very seriously. Like I loved it. I had gone to performing arts camp and I was in this troupe with all these guys who were in my grade. And I think more than the laugh, like I knew I was funny. Yeah. I knew that was the thing. That's how I had friends, not in an annoying way, but I remember like it was always, like you'd play these improv games where you'd, you know, you'd have an idea. So you'd run up to the mic and I never would back down if a boy also went up to the mic mm. because it had never been ingrained in me that boys should speak before women. Mm. I'd never heard the word feminism. Like it wasn't, my mom was just a woman who worked and didn't complain. And so it was more about being imbued with the sense of like, what I have to say is just as valid. I don't even think about it yeah, because I know it in my bones, just the way a man would. And I also know that I'm funnier. Mm. So I'm going to take this mic. I'm not going to like be like, oh, you take it. And I think just that little kernel of like, no, you're just as good. Mm. Just go carried me through it gave me sort of the confidence to do it because no one said I couldn't no one said I could but also no one said I couldn't and did you have like kind of heroes growing up comedically yeah um it wasn't stand-up my parents were divorced and so a lot of the comedy I took in was whatever was on Comedy Central yeah at like 10 o'clock at night when I would secretly turn on my TV and hope my mom wouldn't hear it mm. and it was a lot of British comedy oh really oh my god French and Saunders, Jennifer Saunders, if you're listening, I've tried to reach out to her so many times. Please come to my show. Absolutely fabulous. Was so huge for me. Yeah. And all my references. so cool. 
Like, I only know what Holland Park is because she always <laughs> wanted people to think she lived there. Yeah, yeah. Shepherd's Bush. No, it's Holland Park. Uh, Monty Python was very big. Yeah. Somebody gifted me some CDs. And so I would listen to sketches on the way to school. Yeah. You know, no frame of reference for these like Oxford graduates poking fun at a monarchy. Like that was definitely lost on me in the ninth grade. But he's got a funny walk, hasn't he? There's the Ministry of Funny Walks. <laughs> love the cheese shop. Love the bookstore. There's just like, there's all audio. Have you met um, any any of the Python boys? No. I met John Cleese. We did. Um, That's the one to meet. I guess Eric Idle too. I'm, I met him in uh, Montreal. You know that gym? There's a gym by that little pool that they used to put. Remember the big hotel they put everyone up yes. in? So uh, Dom Herrera and another comic who I didn't <laughs> know great... were kind of on this treadmill and they were sort of just walking along. Yeah. And John Cleese was doing the kind of this sort of leg thing. Oh, fuck. I don't quite know what. And his legs are just like 10 foot tall. Like and a recumbent bike? Yeah. And he's okay. kind of like sp sprawling everywhere. And I'm kind of just in the corner, kind of watching, listening to sort of Dom Herrera talk the road. And John Cleese is kind of peddling away. Yeah. And this 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 Canadian man with this kind of, moustache who's talking to himself as he lifts weights and he's just going and he, 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 this like, Craig. he was like come on Todd come on, come on Todd wait let me and, hear it again come on Todd like that and John Cleese after about sort of 15 minutes went Todd do shut the fuck up oh, and it was this incredible God. moment of like the, the snapshot do of it, shut the fuck Todd, up. do shut the fuck up. There's something softer about a British fuck. Like it's, it's the so... most withering, but it's so oh, like, so it's such a headmaster. Todd, do shut the fuck up. And yet doesn't hurt. You're like, oh, no. okay. You're yeah, not exactly. offended. Yeah, exactly. That's was... the power of your accent. So that was the first time I met him. The second time we were doing a show together in Sydney and he was complaining about the size of the bin in his bathroom of his hotel. And the guy behind the counter because we were in a hotel, thought that John Cleese was doing a bit from Faulty Towers. Oh, funny. So he's like, look at the size of this bin. It's real. What, what am I supposed to put in it? Contact lens. And this bloke's like, fucking good one, mate. That's all right there. That's okay. Matt, John, come out of here. He's doing a fucking bit here. And it was, and again, you just go, it was like watching this unfurl and just go, you don't realise how funny this is. Right. Because you're actually complaining about the bin. You're actually upset about this bin. It's incredible. He's yeah. a fascinating bloke to spend time with. But Ab Fab, that was a huge hit. People forget about French and Saunders and the impact that they had they do. in the UK. Yeah. I think this isn't about like men versus women, but well, I do the think... They were the biggest hit. There are, it's not every woman who's ever done comedy, but there are women who have contributed to comedy and it has sent a ripple mm. effect through comedy. I also put the women of the late 90s SNL class in that category. Sherry O'Terry, Anna Gasteyer, Molly Shannon. There was a cadence. I talk about this all the time because I'm just like dying for history to validate this. A cadence with which they spoke, Sherry O'Terry in particular, that not unlike Will Ferrell, it became a voice comedians use. Mm. Anytime you see someone that's like, okay, gotcha, all right, that's her. Right. And people don't realize it. Anytime you see someone just yelling, they're doing Will Ferrell or... Chris Farley, uh, Jim Carrey's another one. Like so many men like talk, like I know comics who still kind of talk like this. And you're yeah. like, that's not, you took that. Yep. It's like the Gervais's character from The Office. Yes. That is the way a lot of British actors now do comedy. Actors? And even in America, that sort of well, so cousin uh, of mumblecore, where it's like, well, I'm second guessing myself, aren't I? I guess that's a little weird. That's yeah. a little weird. And it just Do you becomes- you say cousin of mumblecore? Yeah. 
That is a fun. Is that a description for that kind Mumble of? Mumblecore is like its own, like sort of hipster two thousands. Like everything's just like this. And then I just made it up just now. But like I the cousin that. of it is, yeah. you're sort of in your own head, nervous. Like yeah. his character is nervous, yeah. but like still with the confidence of an idiot. But back to absolutely fabulous. It was just it set a template for me in terms of what to expect from female friendship, in a good way. Alcoholism. Yeah, but like the two of them just, that's what you want is you and your best friend just yeah. being idiots together yeah, and yeah, yeah. ruthlessly defending each other. Yeah. And what was so great about Edwina was that she was so imperfect, but she was successful. Yeah. She wasn't a loser. She was like a loser, but wasn't a loser. Like no, still yeah. had this beautiful house in Holland Park. And then Patsy would just, you know, fall down the steps and was smoking and drinking. But Who they was were trans? by the way like it was so ahead of its time like the whole joke was that like Patsy like used to be a man yeah and it was just so liberal and advanced and her rants I take a page from that book and I don't know if I've ever said that out loud her ability to string together a hyper coherent intelligent sentence fast mm. Patton Oswald's the same way like just putting together like a beautiful symphony of adjectives and just really being concise with your point so there's that. And then, of course, in the States, there was, um, you know, like the kids in the hall or the state, things like that. So those those were your kind of like... It was just on TV. Yeah. I always just say, like, it's whatever, like, wafted into my Baleen as a comic. And that's a lot of black comedy, like Martin or Jamie Foxx or In Living Color. Like, it's just what was on and you yeah. just watch it. Yeah. And that sort of becomes your foundation. I remember my dad, how lucky. So my dad was working in Florida in 94 we're 14 so bring the pain has just come out oh wow so my dad brings that back as a present lucky you i mean but like just by chance he'd seen it bought it brought it back yeah. and suddenly you're like a 14 year old kid in the uk that gets to watch bring the pain by chris yeah. Rock. you know what i mean and it's it was unbelievable mm -hmm. particularly when you take it from different places you get sort of you're getting british comedy you're getting american comedy you get somebody from australia it's sort of that lovely blend and then eventually you play your own instrument eventually without realizing that yes. you've had all these kind of influences just. And it actually sometimes takes a career to realize, oh, that was an influence on me. Yeah, right. Because when you start, you're like, no, this is totally original. No one's ever <laughs> told a joke about traffic before. <laughs> and it takes time to fully synthesize where these yeah. little voices came from, yeah. where you got this idea. Some ideas are totally original. But there's always a kernel of something. Yeah. And I continue to be influenced. I don't really watch a lot of stand-up. I don't know if you're like me, but like I, I can't. I've recently really started watching stuff. So I kind of, at the Edinburgh Fringe, I really like sitting in an audience. Mm. I haven't done that for a long, long time. Just that feeling of being in a crowd. Yeah. And concentrating on what the comic is saying and then realizing the what it feels like mm -hmm. to receive the information. Yeah. Because it's sort of that thing, you know, when you have like a silence in a set where you're trying to make a point, I always feel like, come on, get to a laugh, get to a laugh, get to a laugh. I've never had that kind of kind of courage to not hit yeah. the joke. Yeah. But you sort of realize when you watch it, it's really nice sometimes when someone's, <laughs> but like, do you know what I mean? To give when, it a beat, yeah. When, when someone's making a point or they're kind of, I don't know. So you don't get that if you're backstage. Right. Do you know what I mean? Uh -huh. or, or if you're kind of watching well, you're not from the, the side. Audience. Sure, sure. Because you're not a part of it. Yeah. I, I think I don't disagree with you. I think you and I are probably the same in that it's like, let's go, let's go. If that failed, I don't want you to know. Like the, yeah, to not yeah. have that confidence is a great way to put it. And it's only recently that I've like 
I've the other a couple months ago, I was like, wow, if you just slowed down, you could have two specials out of this hour. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have to work as hard. Yeah. It is. It comes with age. Just be like, I can just take a beat because they are wrapped. They yeah. are listening. I don't go out of my way to watch like to watch specials. I'll watch clips of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, you know, within a couple seconds, if you like it or not. Yeah. But I have found um, I have found a great love for fostering younger comedic voices. Yeah. I produced several specials earlier this year. Oh, did you? They're only usually I gave everybody like a 10 minute special and we shot it beautifully. I wanted these comics to have a beautiful piece of tape. It's called Eliza's Locals. You can find oh, it nice. on YouTube, 800 pound gorilla. But I know how hard it is to get beautiful tape and I know how hard it is to get a special. Yeah. And so I would go out when I would do my set and I would actually make myself sit there and watch and I found not from an egotistical place, but genuinely from a love of crafting comedy. I love giving a comic a note. Yeah. Just be like, I just want you to know they didn't laugh here. And here's why. Try saying orange instead of blue. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like coaching, isn't it? It's like if, yes. you're, if you're a football coach, it's like, listen, if you. But I can if, still play. <laughs> yeah. But if yeah. you receive the ball like that, you'll make it so much easier. And you can see the people who are like, you're right. Thank you. So like yeah, the clicks yeah. and these people, they're like, OK, I'll try it. I'm like, or don't keep doing it your way and keep eating shit. Like, it's totally up to you. <laughs> So what is the uh, what is the next thing? One fingerless black cashmere glove I bought in the East Village. Well, that's uh, pretty broad. It's <laughs> <laughs> You're like how are we going to cover all this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. When I was packing for this Euro tour, yeah. it's my big chance to, in my mind, have the last chance to wear all my winter clothes because I think global warming is happening way faster than anyone wants yeah. to admit. So I get excited living in California to wear my coat. Right, and it's always from years of almost from like 18 years of traveling, I've amassed like hats and scarves, but I found this one black cashmere fingerless glove, which is more of an aesthetic choice because they are totally useless. Mm. Like that's not your fingers are the cold part, not your palms. Yeah. But I remember when I bought these and I, it sort of brings me back to when you started making money, you look back and you're like, Oh my God. Like I was this like 27 year old girl, 28 year old girl woman who just like could do whatever she wanted. And I didn't have, it's not about taste or bad taste, but I didn't have the wherewithal to know like the things to purchase. Mm. So you're just like in these cities and you're like, I guess we'll just go to a nice dinner and I'll buy the things I always bought without like any sort of style guide. And I remember I was like, I saw these in the village. I went to school in Boston and I wore fingerless, like just a pair of garbage gloves all the time. Like it was part of the look. And like, to me, like this was like the elevated version and they kind of went up to like half of your arm. It okay. was like some quirky lady had like knit it, but I bought it. And I was like, this is how, you know, you're an adult. Cause it's cashmere. Yeah. And I immediately lost one of them, but I still hold on to that one because I know one day I'll find the other one in like a trunk. And I want to make sure to have both to Ooh. make sure I don't wear both of them forever. <laughs> I mean, but it just reminds me of sort of being your late twenties, early thirties, and just know you're just doing stand up. Of course, you have goals, but it's just everything's just kind of crazy and out there, and yeah. your blueprint for life isn't really set. And I look back, and I'm just like, who was watching you? Like, how did you get to the airport that hungover? Mm. Like, just. There's no accounting for where I really was from like 2010 to like 2015. Yeah, because you're so but you're so counterculture in those years. You're not part you're the only world you exist to is the world of stand up. Mm -hmm. And it's its own thing that no one knows about. It's this weird No one knows bubble, about it. But you're you're sort of 
you're alive between eight o'clock at night till two in the morning. It's really fascinating that when you kind of go, you just, you dip into that world and then you come out the other side and then you're like, all right, I can get a mortgage now with my hobby. Yeah. And it's that mad thing when you kind of then, that first time you go to an accountant and you go, I, I, I make money from jokes and I need like to get things. So how does this happen? How does it and work? It, and it's that, well, where have you been for five years of just universities there. and running yeah. around? And Well, that's the thing people don't realize about stand-up is like your favorite comic, when you don't know where they are, they're playing a casino for a lot of money in a state you've never heard of. Yeah. My experience is different in that, like I live in LA, so you're exposed to all of these groups that are comedy adjacent, whether it's actors or reading for movies or TV shows, and I never quite landed any of those parts. And so I always felt like I was sort of on the outside looking in, but I was just doing stand-up by myself as a headliner. And it's hard for people to wrap their minds around this because the context is this is pre-Netflix. This is when like Comedy Central hours mattered. Yeah. Um, and there were, of course, women doing stand-up, but it just wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now. And yeah. so I was just on the road feeling as if I was the only person to ever do stand-up because I had no mentor. I had no colleagues who were at the same level as me because anyone who was was better or more famous. And so you're just alone at a comfort inn and suites in like Kansas city yeah, with your dog. Like you're just sort of you making your way. You. My dog Blanche went everywhere with me. Blanche. 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 She's since passed. Um, my dog passed recently. It's the worst. It's the worst. Yeah. But she, for like eight years was my stalwart companion and you're just cobbling it together, just making it up. Now, you know, I run into a 27-year-old girl doing stand-up. She's like, yeah, I've got my airline miles. I've my preferred hotel, my all this stuff. And I'm like, no where's one your, told me any of this. Where's your dog, bitch? They all have dogs now. <laughs> By the way, they all have dogs now. And I'm like, just so you know, like I walked with my dog so you could run with your poodle. <laughs> I mean, that is a title of a book. So you didn't have anyone in your year that you felt like, who were your kind of pals in comedy? Or were you just on your own? I was on my own because I won a reality show. Last comic standing. I did. Youngest ever winner, I believe. Yeah. But I... Uh, that's the noise I was after. <laughs> I just, I mean... I feel like I've brought something up. That no, I no, no. I never... I, I'm always... Fire. I guess it was so long ago and I never want to be like Al Bundy who like brags about scoring four touchdowns in a single game like when he was like 18. But it's less about that and more just I won that show. So at 25 or 26, you're a headliner. Right. Oh, bloody hell. And... And it's not about, and whether that 45 minutes you've cobbled together is good or not, doesn't matter. They're going to put you out there. So you go out there and you start just doing that. But there's nobody else that was 25. Yeah. And so you're like this freshman with all these seniors. So there were other comics, you know, like, but they were like more like upperclassmen. They're definitely older than me. Um, Definitely not. I mean, we're all colleagues, but these are not people that I call every day. Right. Yeah. And so- you're moving up with people who are older than you. And now it's different because you've known people for so long and people have their successes and you're seeing younger people come up, people who are eclipsing you. Like it's just part of being in show business. But for about 10 years, I just had, and I wasn't a writer like on a show. Mm. I mean, I wrote, but not like in a writer's room. So you didn't, I didn't have access to anybody else doing it. Like, like you're just by yourself. Yeah. Wow. And, and it's then a I, big old country to be on your own in. It's a bit, and it didn't feel lonely because I didn't know any better. You got a dog. And, I'll, and I had the dog and I'll never forget. I was playing 
some small venue, some theater in Detroit, another comic named Angela Johnson reached out to me randomly and we knew each other. And she was like, I'm going to stop by and come say hi. And no one had ever done that before. No one. And I was like, oh, okay. And she came by and I was like, oh, like there's, here's another, oh, that's so friendly. Yeah. Okay. Cause it was still at a time where it's like, you're always trying to put women, pit women against women. And I never subscribed to that, but she showed up and it kind of like showed me like, yeah, you can just be friends with these people. Yeah. Cause I thought it was like blinders on everyone might hate you. Just keep working. So to go back to the glove. Let's get back to the glove. Did that feel like, so did that, was there a decadence to it? Did it, did you feel like you, is that where you're driving at that kind of, it was the first time you bought something flash. Is that how it felt? First time, but it was something where I just remember buying it. And I remember immediately losing it. And I think also part of me keeping it shows like how much money is wasted on dumb things. And I hold on to it because again, if I find the other glove, I want to not wear both of them together. Like even at the time I was like, I don't know if I like this, but it just seemed like a thing to buy. What do you buy a lot of? Like when you say wasted, like what, where do you waste your most money? You think? I don't know if I waste, I don't definitely don't waste my money, but I definitely spend my money on travel. Yep. Like a nice airplane. First class. First, not business. Well, usually there's only one or the other. When and I was I was talking to my husband about this. When you fly business class, what you're really just paying is to not fly coach. Yeah. You're not really getting a ton extra. You're just you get being, those pajamas. Well, it depends on where you're going. Mm. I mean, we're talking like New York to LA. I don't want the PJs. I'm Have paying you ever worn the pajamas? Maybe on like Emirates. Yeah, it freaks me out. When I see, like, you'll sometimes see, like, an Indian businessman put them jamas on. And put it them jamas on. It just gives, I don't know, there's something. Too cozy. Yeah, it's a bit like. We don't have to get this cozy. I don't, I we're don't not open all getting the, in bed together. Yeah. I don't open the amenity kit. Yeah. I literally, I'm paying to not be treated like a terrorist and to not be bothered and to get on the plane first. Mm-hmm. And I, I, just, I want nothing from, I don't want to eat the food. I just want to be left alone and I want my bag and I want to get off the plane. But one of the scariest things about America is the TSA. That is next level. Have you noticed that when you travel around that you realize that your country treats you all like inmates? Yeah. Sir, madam, do not. And the rest, everyone else Do you know how much money someone is making off of us being inmates? Yeah. Uh, It's funny because I feel a similar way to coming through Heathrow. Really? You guys got to drop that small plastic bag thing. You got to drop, no other country, you come to London, they're like, raw, it's got to be one ounce. And you can have as many bags as you want. They're not going to check, but we got to make sure. Yeah. And it's sexist because I need more things. I don't check a bag when I travel. So I'm doing a whole month in Europe, mm. no bag checked, but I have small makeup in liquid. And it's like, God, take it out. And it's just the service you get just like, oh my God, is it in the right plastic bag? Yeah. What, what are we doing? Yep, I hear you. What are we doing with that? No, I agree. But getting, I would, getting, and the buses. Next year. They're getting rid of it next are year. Are they really? Get rid of, oh, don't, well, don't, while don't we, let While we're talking about know. getting rid of things, can we get rid of these shoes in America? Because you're the only people still doing that. Agreed. You have no <laughs> argument for me. One, this is how much of a sitting duck America is. And this is how reactionary we are. One guy did a shoe bomb yeah. 20 years ago. And now forever, we're all standing in our socks. Yeah. I completely agree. You go to Australia. It's like flying September 10th, 2001. <laughs> like you just walk on the plane, that everything's would be, fine. What a way of advertising an airline. <laughs> I think Can people have to do that? the math. That would be the best. G'day, mate. It's like September the 10th. It's like, all fine. It's I, all fine. You will not find me defending anything about American TSA, yeah. our airports, anything. 
I got off a plane in Burbank, which is a great airport because it's like flying out of a living room. Like you get off on the tarmac. It's small. It's super easy. And I'm waiting at the base of the plane for my family. And I let my dog out just on a leash, but just to get out of the carrier. And this guy with the dumbest haircut ever comes up and he's like, put your dog back in the bag. And I go, oh. And so I just turn, I go, I'll just leave. And I go to leave and he goes, and he goes, you need to put your dog back in the bag. And I snapped. It was one of those long travel days with your kid. And I go, can you say please? And he goes, well, you weren't listening. And I go, I go, all you have to do is say please. And he goes, I could make it so you don't travel anymore on this airline. And I, what almost came out of my comic mouth was, look, no one forced you to get that haircut. But I didn't. And I, what I wanted to say was like, do it. Let's see you wield that power, you fucking piece of. Instead, I just was like, okay. And yeah. <laughs> I put her away. Those moments, eh? Hey, you know, those moments. Where you're drifting in your own head and you've had this entire argument. This, you've had the back and forth. I've, and- re- I've replayed this argument for so many people and I brought it here to you, this toxicity <laughs> here to you. And it's one of those moments where you're like, you're either going to look back from an airport jail on that or you're just going to let it go. Know that. That person's already miserable. He probably feels bad that he didn't say please, but he he had to die on that hill. Yeah, man. <sighs> what dog is it? This is Tianfu, my oh. my Chinese rescue dog. Okay. Did you rescue it from China? She was rescued in China, fostered by this Chinese lady who then brings the dogs to LA. And I'm okay. like, please don't. We have so many <laughs> rescue dogs here. So was she a street dog? She was a street dog. And somebody had abused her. We won't go into how, but you can see it on her little face. Oh, God. And I went to the- Sweet Jesus. Oh, I'll show you a picture. She's so <laughs> I pretty. I want to see a picture. <laughs> oh, no, like, no. It's not, it's not uh, like more- Her tongue's not coming out of her oh, nose. Yeah. You said you could see it on her face because now I'm going to play the game of what happened here. Oh, yeah. I'll tell like, you what happened here. No, but, but Welcome I mean? back to what happened here. But that's what I mean. But it's you said scene. you can tell what's happened to her by looking at her face. So she has straight. a little scar around her mouth. All somebody right. tied her mouth shut with a wire. Oh, God. Well- but she's sweet, baby. Ugh. I, long story boring is uh, a few days before Christmas, before COVID hit, unbeknownst to me, obviously, I went to the store to buy sugar. And I get there. It's a small market by our house. And this Chinese lady is just there with all these dogs. And I see these dogs. And I was like, oh, I, I can't. These dogs are too big. And she just went, I have more dog in the car. And she opens up the car like, like, do you want to buy a watch? She opens up this van and there's all these little white dogs. And this one dog looks so scared. I have this all on tape, too. And so I picked her up and I started crying and I called my husband. I was like, I'm just going to buy this dog and I'll see you at home. And I just paid like $300 cash and I brought home this dog and she's been with us ever since. Eliza and the Beanstalk. I love it. That's right. It feels like a sort of Tom Hanks film from the 80s, doesn't it? Like a feel good. There's a sort of magical Chinese lady that brings this dog to you. And and everyone else is like, I didn't see a Chinese lady there. It's like like the gremlins. Like weren't those. I got a new dog on the way. Is so, that the one on your screensaver? No, that's my um, that's my old dog. Oh, he, okay. Yeah, he passed away a month ago, and it was horrific. It's uh, awful. It, but also, what's awful about grief is that it just grabs you, and you can't explain it to anyone. And like, the sort of tremors continue, and then you're 43, just suddenly crying at like a tip, which is like a recycling center. Oh. And this, I was crying at a tip. Yeah. And I looked like somebody that couldn't let go of a fridge. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's just, there's no way of explaining disorder. it. And people are like, it's right, mate. There's other ways of keeping food cold. You can, <laughs> and you just try to explain what it is. It's like just. Dog. What's the next one? Vodka sodas and the smell of a closed bar. Okay. The smell of a closed bar. I don't like the smell. 
The smell of a closed bar because it always smells like old alcohol. Mm. And that is what a comedy club smells like. Yeah, it's that weird, sweaty alcohol. Yeah. Sort of pungent, pleasant, and disgusting it's smell. Yeah. It's disgusting, but it's also like where you came from. So it's really just about like hearkening back to a developmental time. And, and were you uh, were you a big drinker? Yes, but not in a British way. Big drinker in like, this is just what we do. So did you drink during shows? Or did Never. You, yeah. And then I don't drink alone. Culturally, yeah. Jews don't tend to do that. Like, I've never come home from a long day and been like, I need a drink. That's not, you know, if you need a glass of wine, great. It's for me more like we're going out. Let's start with five vodka sodas. We'll drink two and a half of them. Yeah. The rest will get warm, but yeah. we'll still we'll still buy them. I kind of, I get that because I'm not really a big drinker, but if I'm going out, I will, I kind of drink to get pissed. I don't drink you. for the fun of it. Thank you. Have you been to New Zealand? Yes. The, I just lived there for a month. Amazing place. But the Kiwis, that now they drink, like you wouldn't think it of them, but they, they've got a drinking game called Possum. Where basically what you do is you, you take like a 12 pack of beers, you climb a tree you drink them, and if you fall out, you're a possum. This is what happens when <laughs> you have too much land and, not a, and too much time. And there was there was a, a girl called Jess who was... Was. Look, yeah, yeah. She was looking after us on the um, this TV show I did. And they said what they used to do is they used to do... They'd get in the shower and drink before they went out. That's a big Canadian thing as well. Yeah, I didn't know this, but apparently it gets you drunk quicker. One of my husband's fondest memories of drinking, he always recalls like coming home from, my husband's a chef, like a shift and getting in the shower and drinking a beer. And I've tried it. <laughs> yeah. You get shower water in your beer. Yeah. Like yeah. I didn't work with my hands all day. Like yeah. I don't need to do that. I think it sounds better than it actually is. As your preggers at the minute, is there a drink that you're... Are you looking forward to that first one again? Not really. Are you looking forward to some sushi? Is there anything in particular you're looking forward to after? Sleeping on my stomach yep. and sleeping on my back. And I could have sworn the last pregnancy they said you can do it on your back as long as you're comfortable. Mm. But I don't think you're supposed to do that. So I think it's just more the freedom to beat up my body the way that I used to. Because you have to be extra tender now. Yeah. So it's less about a food and it's more about like having three cups of coffee in a day. Yeah. Laying on my belly, not feeling like a like a king seal at the end of the day. Like, and are you... Are you <laughs> an elephant seal. Are you recording this special pregnant? Or, no. No. It was a choice to not do that. You know, you live your life and then we wanted to have a baby and, you know, you hope it happens. So we got pregnant. So the hour is there. I could record it tomorrow. I'm going to record it next October. Mm -hmm. I'd like to do it not pregnant because I feel that that's been done by some funny women. It's been done. Mm. And this way I can just kind of tour this hour, change it, sharpen it, whatever. Plus, I already bought the pants that I want to wear. Okay, and wow. And I bought them before I was pregnant. Yeah. And I have them. And they are from like a raver website in like Spain. And so the pants, the special is all about the celebration of the pants. Okay. So I want to wear those pants. But yeah, when you're doing a special, like it's your chance to like, you know, be the version of yourself you wish you had the time to curate yeah, on the yeah. road uh, and make it special. Like when you do a late night set, you you put on makeup. Are you looking forward to the time when your daughter and uh, your son can see your stuff? Because there's going to be a time when your 15 year old daughter yeah. kind of goes, right. Let's go through all of mum's stuff. Uh, 
she and then definitely... she gives you notes. Oh my god! <laughs> Hopefully That's she's inevitable. It? It's she's more up. brilliant than I am. Like um, you were, you definitely. Um, I mean, you change, mum. You know, you went through these various phases. I mean, the first pressure, what you do is at this age right now. I've already like ingrained in her. She likes to touch mommy's things. So I put her in the bathroom and she gets to touch my things. So it's very sweet to have her like go through your, it's very endearing to have your child going through your things. Oh, right. I, I thought that was you talking about your tits. I'll be touch honest mommy's with you. thing. Yeah. I was like, you said, I genuinely was like, okay, fine. And I'll keep it quiet. And she then has like, touched them. And I'm yeah. like, what do we do here? Yeah. And I'm like, these are nipples. She's yeah. like, nipples. And I'm like, the dog has nipples. <laughs> you have tiny nipples. Like you try to not make it weird. You're like, yeah. If I make it too weird, is it too weird? You don't know what to do. There's no handbook. I she guess, goes for your stuff then. Yeah, we have a drawer of like costume jewelry and oh. she'll ask, please touch mommy's thing. So yeah. I set her up and she just touches. Oh. And it's just adorable. Yeah. Touch mommy's things? Uh, in this moment, I don't care. Mm. If they see it, if they know who I am, if they don't. And there's, of course, maybe they're embarrassed by you or not, but it almost doesn't matter what you thought of mommy in the past. I hope you like it. They'll love it. <sighs> Who gets like we all looking? We all like looking back at old photos of our parents. Like who gets to see yeah. the way that their mum thought? Right, it's, it's it is fucking cool. mental. They'll get to sit down and see their twenty-seven-year-old mum talk for an hour about things. I'll just in be the, like cringing in the corner. That's what I mean. But yeah, it's, yeah. But it's, it's a to... really, it's a really weird thing of going that your your thought process is sort of cast in aspic for the it's, rest of your life. These aren't home videos, right? These, like these are very shared memories with a, the rest of the world. It's a perfected home video. I guess I'm more looking forward to the ability to bring her on the road. It's about getting to show her how to be a citizen of the world. Yeah. It's about getting to show her, like, here's how we act in hotels. Here's how we act in public. Here's how we're nice to the crew. Here's how you order at a restaurant. Like, things that I want to give her the agency and license to move through this world with impunity. Mm. And I want her to feel comfortable in every room and in every situation. And I think that starts by showing them this is how we act. This is what we do. And so I'm excited to have those like special trips. Yeah. I'm excited to like pull her out of school to be like, we're going to Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> what is the next thing? <sighs> Some the, great noises, mate. It's uh, because <laughs> it, was, it was hard to come up with this list because you're having to encapsulate your entire existence uh, in four bullet points. And you want to make sure that these sound good enough. Um. And so I just said my office and I said my office because I believe you pick one small room in your house where you keep all of your evidence of a career. Mine's called the doom room. The doom room. Mm. Like where all my achievements have been yeah. put into this tiny little sort of cold room. Yeah. My fans are incredible and they're different from other fans because they make me gifts and it's been years of this. So I have oil paintings of my dogs. I have hand-stitched garments for my daughter. I get letters. They write multi-page letters. They they stitch, they, like just the stuff that people make because you give them your art and then they make art back. Yeah, that's and beautiful. So, it's beautiful. And so I try to keep all the things that I could tell really took time. Okay. Um, a lot of party goblin stuff, but people find little gems and little bits that they like and then yeah. they do stuff. And when I stop to think about it, it's it's just this incredible exchange of energy. Mm. And my office is this like little hovel of a room. And it was there that I wrote good on paper that I got on Netflix. And it was there that I've written any screenplay that I've sold, any pilot I've sold. It's all from this like Ikea $90 desk, 
my old laptop mm. and this room surrounded by those memories. It's not a nice office, but it's like the space that I go to. Mm. And I'm very thankful for, you know, without your fans, you have nothing. Mm. You can never take them for granted. And you always have to protect the quality of your show and their experience. Particularly as you find yourself sort of traveling around, you know, Australia and Europe. And it's so cool to be able to think of a thing knowing that there is 2,000 people waiting for you in Paris. Yeah. Like that. that's so mad. I actually remember the first time I fully, look, I fully got the power of, of stand up, the power of Netflix, to be honest. But, you know, I've toured around forever. I've done a lot of military shows, but I remember doing a show in Malaysia and I remember looking at the audience and these people are all, most of them Asian and a lot of them in like hijabs. It's like the Asian Muslim thing. And they were laughing and they were awesome. And I just remember thinking like, wow, we have almost nothing in common culturally but that's the power of connecting as humans is you get people who culturally are nothing like you that get you Yeah. just to in real time have a context for how much we actually do have in common versus constantly vilifying yeah. people and their otherness. And you could even boil that down to from state to state, you know, we are completely divided in America, but I am very lucky to have the context to go to a very red state. And you are constantly proving to yourself, like, just because you don't vote the same doesn't mean these people are not humans. Yeah, well, that's the frustrating thing, isn't it? That everything's been whittled down to, you know, if you vote Trump, that uh, explains everything about your personality, mm-hmm. which it doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's kind of like the, people are so much more than the, the tick they do every four years. Or what they put on Instagram, yeah. you know? And so I'm proud to have a working knowledge of my own country and a real context for what my country is and the world to actually know what an audience feels like in Vienna, to actually know what it's like in Hong Kong. It's because you got on stage and you had some funny thoughts and And, enough people liked them. Yeah. And because fundamentally you sat in your office and you thought of a funny thing and you thought, I'll remember that and say it to strangers. Yeah. But that's, it comes down to that thing of just sitting around having to think and then finding some strangers telling him that and then they laugh you realize you're not mad and we're away but also there's not only that actually putting pen to paper you know the power of writing because what comes out of my office are it is more like documents like a book or a screenplay or something and it is constantly writing constantly staying sharp and constantly validating all the things that you're like why can't i say that why not me writing that Mm. why not my book why not that essay I don't think people realize that you do have that power if you're willing to work at it. So all the nights that like I didn't go out or I didn't do something and I sat there just writing away at this little screenplay, Mm. that's when the work is done. I hate that this is an Under Armour quote, but it's what we do in the shadows that helps us shine in the light. Like it's just to sell like underwear. Yes. (laughs) It's so your dad can wear like an Under Armour long sleeve shirt while he hits tennis balls. But it is true. It's all the times that you think people are resting or taking a break. It's like, no, bitch. Like, I'm in my office writing something else that's going to pay my mortgage. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, man. Is it incredible having a partner who's a chef? It's great. Yeah, I mean... It wasn't something I sought out. Like, a lot of women are like, I just want to marry a chef. I met him. (laughs) Is that a thing? I didn't know that. Oh, my God. The just just rock hard nipples. They're like, you're married to a chef. Yeah, I bet. I love num-nums. What are they doing? Are women, like, hanging outside kitchens? Just sort of, like, looking in? They should. Yeah. 
Like meerkats. Get dressed up at 2 a.m. and just wait for some chemically imbalanced guy with tattoos to walk outside. <laughs> yeah. He's this, a normal person. He was just looking for a beer and a shower. He, I mean, <laughs> it's all, he just wants to party. I met him. He was a chef. I had never thought about it. I Food doesn't, it fuels me, but it's not a passion of mine. Okay, that's interesting. It isn't. I it it doesn't speak to me in the way it does to him. Really? And I can and people love cooking. I don't it's not like a feminist thing like I don't cook. It just doesn't I don't want to. Did he uh woo you with food? Yes. Oh okay. He did. What was the dish? He- I'll tell you. It's not the dish, it was the experience. We had our first date. It was awesome. And then the next day he asked me out and we decided to, he was like, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, oh, I'm going to hang out with you. And he was like, why don't I cook for you? What would you, what do you want to do? And I, and I don't know why I said this. Cause I've never said this. I was like, let's make a pizza. And in my mind, we were going to go and like buy a crust at the store. And it's more of the activity of doing it together, like a couple's cooking class. And he was like, okay. So he went to the pizza place that he helped open and he pilfered like a dough, like a proofed dough ingredients and brought them to the house and like mm. made me a real professional pizza, yeah. like with all the ingredients. And that was just cool. It's like a sort of culinary version of that scene in Ghost with a pottery. Yes, it was like that. A little less sexual because I think I had a cold the next day. But then I remember the other time that I remember uh, we met in like July and uh, Halloween was coming up, obviously in October. And we decided to have a day of the dead party. And I always have parties. And people come and I bake and I would have these big parties and he took over the food. He was like, I'm going to do a smoked potato taco. We're going to talk. We're going to get sterno burners. Like my friends lost their minds of course. over everything he made. And I soon realized like, oh, like, I guess no one's coming to my parties for me anymore. <laughs> I guess it's just all about Noah. And that's his thing. Like he knows the logistics and the money and how to do these things on a big scale. And I think that's very cool. Like he knows how to do it. And how do you sort of like balance your two careers together? How does that work? Like, Because presumably he can't work in a restaurant and you, right. and you can't work as a comic at the same time well, and he, see each other. Yeah, he doesn't work in restaurant. He Before I met him, he opened a few places. Right. He is primarily now a cookbook author and oh, writer. Nice. So he has, I'm going to brag, he has a James Beard Award and a James Beard nomination. I don't know what those are. It's like the Oscars of cookbook oh, see, awards right. yeah. of, for the culinary world. Yeah. And he has a cookbook out called Don't Panic Pantry, which was based on a cooking show we did on Instagram in the pandemic. Oh, wow. And Knopf published it. They'll be actually available, I think, at the show in London. And it's all the food that we eat in our home. Oh, wow. And Is there photos of- I'm in it. What, and what do you look like eating? Because on stage, you're all over the fucking show. On stage, you're so ugly. <laughs> I was going to say. It's just me it's eating a sub. <laughs> Some so, photographer just leapt into your kitchen. Like, Not didn't now. Even, didn't even ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm feeding. <laughs> and so, and he writes cookbooks with other people. He's got a couple coming out this year. So he's just oh, amazing. This elegant man who loves writing, loves cooking. This is perfect. So then presumably while, like you say, if you're traveling through Europe, you're doing gigs he's then able to kind of like try out different foods and it all kind of adds to the palette. Oh, he has food maps. Let me know the next country you're going to. My husband has a food map for you. Is that right? He's the guy that finds the thing that's the thing before it's the thing. Yeah. Because he talks to other chefs. He will ingratiate himself. He will get that manager to become his best friend. Like he just is a fan (laughs) of other chefs. And it's just, it's a really beautiful thing. Like there's no attitude. There's no ego. Yeah. He's just, such a he's so he's just like such a mensch so how did you meet then on a dating app like just, i wish it was more elegant than that. it was on yeah. a dating app nice it just clicked 
And uh, and now we're together and now he's here and he's planned every meal in London, every meal in every country we're going to. And I just follow him. He decides everything our daughter eats. What's he got like, you? Final question. What's he got you eating in London? What's the? I'd have to I'd have to text him because I don't know. We're going to Jim Connor. Jim Connor. Jim Connor. Who's the Jim Connor? Indian restaurant. Oh, oh my! Of At course. Some point. Yeah, you'll have a chaos curry. And the other place, I think there's a Japanese place he wants to go to, and I just go, and I don't. But I look like a terrible mother because someone will say like, "Oh, what's Sierra gonna eat?" I'm like, "Ask her dad." Like he's in charge of her health and the food. <sighs> yeah. As he should be. Yeah. Like from a nutritional point of view, this kid's- This I girl think, eats lentils. Wow. Because he's really big on fiber. Yeah. <laughs> like whatever. So, so she must be doing some, you know- Huge some, turds. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Grown man. Do you know what? It's so weird that like uh, oddly, I was on holiday with my sisters and her kids. I accidentally walked in on my nephew and he'd just been to the toilet and he was super embarrassed yeah. and the turd was in there. It's in there. It was, it was fucking massive. It's like the opening it, of Law and Order, like ka-chung. Yeah, but like it, really, it's, it really freaked me out. I, I just, it was, I was just flush it away, but I wish I could have stayed and studied this thing. She loves taking a shit. She's like, <laughs> please sit on mommy's toilet. And you, there is nothing that lets you know you're not, you're not in your 20s or cool anymore than holding a child over a big toilet while they take a dump and yeah. they're just having the best time and you're just like, you got it. You're doing great. <laughs> yeah. I used to I, I used that. to do drugs in a warehouse, but now <laughs> I'll hold you while you just dump out and have the best time of your life and then get excited about flushing. Perfect. It's beautiful. What a way of ending. <laughs> uh, I love that, man. It was so nice to see you. So Best of luck with you. the gigs. I'm sure they'll be amazing. And um you. Good luck with the kid. Thank you. Good luck with the kid. But are you are you totally certain you're going to get it get back to America before you give birth? Because I think you might have a British kid on your hands. Okay. First of all, we set up the tour so that if for some horrific reason I gave birth two and a half months early, there are worse places than Scandinavia and the UK to have yeah, a baby. Absolutely. I was like, yeah, give me some of that Swedish healthcare. I'd love to have a baby there. And, and you see, have you seen what they do with the Swedish kids? They leave them outside. Leave them outside in prams. Yeah. It's unbelievable because it's just, that's what you do. You keep them hardy and then they stay outside. Can I Where, tell you, in yep. Amsterdam, we had to go into a small cafe because everything's a small cafe. And the nanny, I have a Guatemalan nanny, we have a huge stroller and she's like, "Where well, leave it outside. I go, leave it outside. She goes, are you sure? I'm like, it's Amsterdam. Mm. No one's stealing a cruddy stroll in the first place. But second of all, no one's stealing a stroller in yeah. these countries. That's my first thought. You saw all these babies outside yes, the shops outside. in Sweden. You go, someone's going to steal these kids. No. And they're they going to sell them. And they're going to sell the strollers and that's that. But you have, they have clothes outside shops yeah. in Scandinavia and no one's stealing them. The only thing we put outside shops in the UK is fruit because we are certain that no one's stealing a pineapple. <laughs> no one's going to eat this. Nobody's going to go as a mango. They're not going to buy that, let alone run off with it. Yeah. Mental. Yeah. I love that. It was amazing. Eliza, nice to see you. Great to see you. So there you go. That was Eliza. Um, like I said, she's at the Hamster of Apollo on the 6th and 8th of December. Then she's touring Europe until the end of the year. Thanks. See you later. Torah.